This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When it comes to my health care, I want choices, like more doctors and hospitals, so I get to see who I want. With Independence Blue Cross, I don't have to compromise when it comes to my care. Independence makes it easy. Their online tools help me manage my plan and even keep my health on track with programs designed for my well-being. And with free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, I get easy access to care when I need it, saving me time. Open enrollment ends on January 15th. Enroll today at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. In Odyssey Station, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's January, and for some, that means dry January, a time to give your body a rest after eating and drinking a bit too much over the holidays. If you drink alcohol in moderate quantities, maybe January is a good time to look at your health in general. And if you drink more than is recommended by CDC guidelines, you should learn about the possible health hazards of excess alcohol, especially since people have been consuming more alcohol during the pandemic. Joining us today is Dr. Simona Rossi to share very important information about the effects of excess alcohol. Dr. Rossi is the chair of the Division of Hepatology for the Einstein Healthcare Network. She's also the program director of the Liver Transplant Fellowship. She's an associate professor of medicine at the Sidney Kimmel Medical College at Jefferson, and she has a vast experience in research of fatty liver, viral hepatitis, drug-induced liver disease, and several leadership positions on committees for research grants and telehealth in the Einstein Network. Later, we'll be joined by Mr. Ryan Healy, a licensed professional counselor and addiction specialist for the Einstein Healthcare Network. Simona, welcome. So great to have you here today. Marianne, thank you so much for having me. So let's start with some general definitions. I think people might be a little surprised by the definition of a standard drink. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, especially because many people aren't aware that um, even beer is considered alcohol. So when you look at alcohol, it, it comes in all shapes and sizes. And we need to remember that one can of beer, which is um, is equivalent to one glass of wine, six ounces, actually, just not a large goblet of wine, but a smaller goblet of wine of six ounces, which is equivalent to one um, standard shot of uh, hard alcohol, which generally contains about 40% of alcohol. And I think as you point out, people think beer doesn't hold a candle in terms of concentration or, or effect to wine or, or hard alcohol. So I think people might also be surprised by the definition of binge drinking. Yeah, exactly. Um, binge drinking is something that if we all look back and are honest with our alcohol consumption, it's probably all done at some point in our life. Um, and uh, for women and men, it varies. 
binge drinking for women is considered having had more than four drinks in one sitting, whereas for men, it's slightly more at five drinks per setting. So you can imagine in a social scenario where binge drinking can easily become achieved by anyone. Well, I think people need to be reminded, I'm a GI doctor, you're a GI doctor, and then you specialize Mm -hmm. in liver disease. But when I see young people in the office that are, gosh, in their 20s or 30s, they come in with acid reflux symptoms or a bellyache or whatever, and I'll say, do you, oh, I work out and I don't eat red meat, and they follow all these good health measures. And I say, how about alcohol? Oh, only one night a week. And I sort of offer the suggestion, is that maybe six or eight beers and a couple shots? Yeah, something like that. And they think, isn't it true that that pulse of alcohol uh, attack on your liver is worse than if you do have a drink a day? Uh, absolutely. I mean, ex- excessive drinking in one scenario or what or what we define as binge drinking, especially um, common in uh, adult, uh, young adult uh, uh, people, such as uh, patients, go- people, sorry, patients, people going to college um, is an excessive amount of alcohol at once. And that just completely overwhelms your body to metabolize the alcohol into its less toxic byproducts and uh, significantly um, causes uh, detrimental effects. Mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture Dietary Guidelines, that's a mouthful, but the American Cancer Society, all the important medical uh, societies suggest that women stop at one per day. That doesn't mean you have to drink a, a serving a day, but really we shouldn't have more than a serving a day uh, if you're a woman and absolutely no alcohol during or if you think you're pregnant. And men should stop at two a day. And what would you define as heavy drinking for people to, and you know, the exact details aren't so important, but what is defined as heavy drinking, would you say? So anything above one drink per day or seven drinks per week for a female or um, two drinks per day for a man or to 14 drinks per day uh, per, per week for a man is considered above normal, moderate to heavy drinking. Um, and uh, so it, it easily becomes from a modest to very intermittent drinker to a very heavy drinker very easily and probably at less amounts than we would recognize to be that. Mm-hmm. And it will be interesting as we go along for people to hear what those levels of alcohol can do. So women who drink heavily are more likely to have higher blood levels than men. How does that happen? Yes, um, for, for several different reasons, um, uh, alcohol is uh, more toxic to women. Um, more, one of the main reasons is because women have a lot uh, less water in their system. And uh, if you consider an alcohol being diluted in more water, which is a man's physiologic state, you can imagine that drinking the same amount of alcohol for a woman will lead to a higher concentration of alcohol in their bloodstream. In addition, part of the alcohol um, breakdown is initiated in the stomach and women may have less or slower um, metabolism of the alcohol in their stomach. So for the same amount of alcohol consumed by a woman compared to a man, that amount of alcohol goes into the bloodstream at a higher concentration and goes then to the liver, which is the second organ to reach the job of metabolizing or breaking down the alcohol. Mm -hmm. So then I hear some young patients say they pace themselves when they're having, when they're drinking socially and they, they think that their liver magically metabolizes one drink an hour. How would you uh, explain that to them, that that's not a good idea? I would, you know, that's a great point to make, especially with the, the younger patient, uh, younger people drinking alcohol more uh, excessively. Uh, unfortunately, there's no way to pace and diminish or, or improve your ability to drink more alcohol. You may not feel the acute 
toxic effects of a of a drunken state by drinking a little bit more slowly, but the end result is that same amount of alcohol needs to be broken down by your body. And when you reach critical levels of that amount of alcohol um, in a certain period, you're going to need you're going to have ill effects. And that's probably the definition of a hangover, right? Isn't it? What causes that feeling of heavy headedness or the hangover the next day? So uh, that's a great question as well. You know, many people wonder what, you know, worst headache of of their life when they wake up feeling nauseous or vomiting. Those are all signs that your body is actually filled with a toxic product. And that toxic product is indirect result of the too much alcohol that you consumed. So as you break down the alcohol, an intermediary product is something called acetylaldehyde, which isn't important so much as what the name is, but the effects that it does, it causes the nausea, the flushing, the headaches, the vomiting. And it also is the responsible culprit for causing liver damage, cell death, um, and many other of the ill effects that we see in uh, advanced uh, or heavy alcohol drinking. Oh, it just makes me never want to have a drink again. Uh, And so, you know, you'll hear some people say, well, if you wake up with a hangover, have a Bloody Mary, have another drink. No. Oh, my gosh, no. Yeah. (laughs) I think that just quickly makes you forget that you had the hangover, but it certainly doesn't help alleviate. In fact, it worsens the toxic effects. Right. Yeah. Good to know. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Simona Rossi from the Einstein Healthcare Network. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Simona Rossi. We're talking about the health hazards of excess alcohol. So the other thing I hear people say, this, we've heard people say this for years. You're at a dinner party or at a wedding. And people say, well, I'm going to have a cup of coffee but I hop, before I hop in the car. That does not erase any of the effect of the alcohol. And, and in fact, it might even mask some of the depressant effects of alcohol, right? Absolutely. Making you... You think you're doing the right thing. Tell us what you think about that. I think mm-hmm. uh, that's a great point to make. A, a, a co- coffee's not going to sober you up. Um, the only sobering effect is letting your body metabolize the alcohol to its non-toxic metabolites. Um, so caffeine will maybe give you a little bit of a, a spruce up because alcohol is a sedating type of drug, but it certainly uh, doesn't make you any safer to to drive. Yeah, and then then you get a little buzz from the alcohol, the uh, caffeine and think, well, I could have another half a drink. Right. So it just perpetuates, and then exactly. the, the caffeine, as you say, doesn't metabolize the alcohol, um, exactly. and it also doesn't reduce your breath or alcohol levels if you're pulled over. So don't count on the coffee, right? Absolutely. So we want to talk about some of the adverse effects. I think people realize too much alcohol can damage your liver, and we could talk about that a little. But there are other considerations we want to discuss too. Let's talk about the liver disease that can result sometimes pretty quickly, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Again, women are much more susceptible. In fact, we know that women who drink even small amounts of alcohol in their lifetime are much more likely to develop liver-related complications than a woman who abstains completely. Um, So uh, the ill effects of alcohol can stem from just developing a large, fatty, inflamed liver, and that can, um, over time, lead to cirrhosis um, and liver failure and the need for liver transplantation. Um, So uh, alcohol certainly has its ill effects at all spectrums um, of consumption in women, especially, but also men um, over time. And we're going to talk about a little bit more later the effects of the pandemic. We hear so much in news stories and, and in your office about patients who are drinking more 
because of the isolation and all the anxiety related to the pandemic, but you're seeing much more in terms of episodes or cases of acute alcoholic hepatitis and liver failure, yes? Yes, absolutely. This is a well-recognized um, uh, disease process associated with heavy alcohol, usually in younger uh, people, um, with uh, repetitive binge drinking, um, and they're coming in with yellow yellow eyes, swollen bellies full of fluid, and in all intents and purposes, liver failure, having never even had a diagnosis of cirrhosis before. So these are um, patients who just have kind of over-consumed in a very short period of time, several months, and they can come in with liver failure. Terrifying. Um, But it's an important message that you're sharing. So I I hope this gets out to a lot of people. And I know there are some studies that say uh, moderate intake of alcohol can raise your good cholesterol, et cetera. But the American Heart Association says, no, do not count. Don't start drinking to improve your cardiovascular health. Avoid it, you know, in, you know, minimal intake. And then I was fascinated that six drinks or more a day or binge drinking can increase your likelihood of sudden death. Um, What are some of the other things that can do to your heart and blood pressure? Well, it certainly can elevate your blood pressure. We see this uh, very commonly, in, uh, especially in men who are uh, drinking in moderation or heavy alcohol on a daily basis. The uh, increased heart rate that you can develop um, when you're drinking heavily, that's also uh, a sign that your body's trying to get rid of the uh, toxic metabolite, the acetaldehyde that I alluded to earlier. Um, one other thing that's very important to note is that alcohol is one of the few drugs from which when you withdraw, you actually have a risk of sudden death. Um, unlike other drugs where you withdraw and you feel god awful, but you will not have potentially an increased risk of death with alcohol, you can develop a, a rhythm abnormality that can uh, lead to severe dire consequences. You can develop seizures. Um, you know, so the, the the ill effects of alcohol and alcohol withdrawal are very dangerous. So get support if you're trying to wean off. And and luckily, we have Ryan Healy from Einstein later joining us about those uh, treatment options. But AFib, and you mentioned stroke. And then I think one of the first places where I heard the new guidelines of one drink a day max for women, that doesn't mean drink all seven on Friday night, um, (laughs) and max two a day for men, increases the risk for so many cancers. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, it kind of uh, doesn't stop at the liver. It doesn't stop at just a really bad night. Um, a chronic uh, excessive alcohol has been shown to defend, uh, to be linked to certain cancers, um, oral cancer, esophageal cancer. It's been linked to, obviously, liver cancer. For women, um, one of the links that's been made with alcohol, especially women who drank heavily pre um prior to giving, having their first child, if they're having children, um, is breast cancer. So, um, you know, these are uh, the risks of cancer and malignancy from alcohol um, definitely stand, uh, span beyond just the liver disease and uh, impact many of our organs. And I know we've seen plenty of patients who develop pancreatitis, an inflamed, life-threatening condition, uh, inflammation of the pancreas. But, and we know gout can result from too much alcohol. I don't know if all of our listeners know that, but gallstones uh, are more likely, osteoporosis. So it's important. And, and I guess, too, uh, some of the facts about breast cancer risk, that um, it's even higher risk for a woman if she's also taking postmenopausal hormones. 
Right, and that all has to do with the um, the estrogen um, impact of alcohol. Alcohol increases estrogen in women. We know that certain breast cancers are estrogen responsive, and postmenopausal women who are exposed to more estrogen are theoretically at increased risk of certain types of breast cancers. Uh, alcohol also tends to cause uh, an increased density of the breast, which also has been linked to an increased risk of breast cancer. So there's many uh, uh, hypotheses and and, co and consequences of. Uh, alcohol on the breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And all, all lead to the same path. Uh, exactly. And I think it's so important to reiterate the, the dangers of alcohol during pregnancy or when you first think you might be pregnant. Those first three months can cause abnormal facial features in the baby, but the brain's developing all through pregnancy. Tell us about the um, fetal alcohol syndrome. That's pretty scary. Yeah, very scary. Um, and sometimes women don't even know that they're pregnant and they're excessively drinking. So if you kind of start with the premise that you shouldn't excessively drink, perhaps when you become pregnant, not unknowingly conceive a child, then you may uh, prevent uh, harm to your child. And fetal alcohol syndrome is a is a syndrome um, which is uh, recognized often at birth, um, but probably by your obstet obstetrician during development of the fetus. Um, and the baby has very characteristic facial uh, changes um, and it's, it's associated with developmental um, abnormalities, uh, learning disabilities, intellectual um, challenges for that child. So um, it's not just a, a physical abnormality, but it is something that will impact that child for, for the rest of their life. Well, it's so sad. And then yeah. they, I know as a newborn, they might have trouble sleeping or attaching to, to breastfeed. And later problems, as you say, with heart, kidney, bones, and, and just getting along with other children and social skills. And I think um, one of the other important messages is the risk of, of course, motor vehicle accidents or traumas. Um, and as you said in our conversation the other day, damage, um, or if you're in a motor vehicle accident, um, injuries to yourself, even death or others could die. But if you all survive, you don't want to spend a lifetime in jail either. Absolutely. Great point. And I think this is something that probably sh it should hit hard to all of us, but especially if we are parents of children who are in um, high school and or college who are starting to experiment and starting to drive. Uh, these are, you know, the, the ill effects of alcohol in intoxication not only can lead to motor vehicle accidents, um, uh, incarceration, death, but also um, remember that it, it, the amnesia or the, the memory loss or blackouts that patients, that people experience with excessive alcohol can lead to horrible consequences, which, you would call, which are called negative consequences, um, poor decisions with sexual contacts with other people, unprotected sex, sexually transmitted diseases, really just awful things, guilt um, and negative consequences to that person that they can carry lifelong. Um, so absolutely that needs to be stressed to the parents, to the adolescents or to the young adults, everybody to recognize and keep this in mind. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Simona Rossi. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Welcome back. We are learning so much from Dr. Simona Rossi from Einstein Healthcare Network. She is the chief of the Division of Hepatology or Liver Disease and Liver Transplants at uh, Einstein. And we were talking, Simona, about 
all the uh, social risks too of uh, intoxication. You're not so inhibited. It leads to more um, sexually transmitted diseases, motor vehicle accidents. So we didn't. Need, we decided we weren't even going to talk about the technical legal limit because even one or two drinks might impair if you're taking uh, cough syrup or if you're exhausted or. Right? I mean, absolutely. You're absolutely right. What's the point of saying your breathalyzer test? You could still be in an accident. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. As we were talking earlier, I think that uh, it's really important to, to be aware that even after one drink, especially in women, and, and depending on how you're feeling that day, what you've had to eat, um, are you on other medications that compete perhaps, um, you can easily become more relaxed and make a decision that you're, you may not have made had you not had that extra drink. Um, so the you know the ill effects are the what we call negative consequences of, of excess alcohol or even moderate alcohol, especially in a younger person who has hasn't had that experience yet, perhaps, um, can find them in a really um, unfortunate situation that they have to deal with moving forward. And you think about that, too, if it's you're on vacation and you have a beer and you're out on a boat and you're responsible uh, for, yes. yeah, or you're riding a bike or a snowmobile. And I don't think too many pilots have a drink before they fly, but, uh, you know, all those instances. And then occupational injuries, people that think, uh, well, I guess it wouldn't apply to you hope it doesn't apply to um, people doing heavy labor, but oh, but it certainly can. Sure, it certainly can because you know the the more somebody has a, uh, a even in those patients in those people who have substance abuse disorder where they're excessively drinking, they're going to work intoxicated. They may not look intoxicated, but they are, um, and they're impaired. And so, you know, especially with mechanical work, you're likely to got, you know, have an accident and have a, a, a body deforming um, injury. And that's not just, a, you know, a construction worker that talks about physicians who are impaired or intoxicated. It doesn't, you know, alcohol is not one of those diseases that only impacts, um, you know, that person on the street who's walking, who, oh, well, he, she is an alcoholic that I don't look like that. It's a physician. It's your mother. It's your sister. It's your son. It's your brother. It is your pastor. It can be anybody, unfortunately. Um, so we need to recognize alcoholism or alcohol use disorder or too much alcohol and its potential ill effects that it spans all races, all gender, all social backgrounds. Um, so it's really something, let's get the stigma out of it. There's not one face to alcoholism or alcohol use disorder. Well, I think we can agree to, and then we're talking about people that have a couple of beers uh, on the beach and they're drownings or burns yeah. and, and people that uh, decide to take a walk in the snow, they get hypothermia. So, so many Absolutely. scary outcomes, but I, I, we shouldn't be surprised to think that violence is more likely. I was reading some stats the other day. It's involved in at least half of all sexual assaults and uh, a half to a third of, or I guess it's a third to a half of homicides. Absolutely, especially in men, um, uh, homicide, gun violence, um, injury, um, all of those types of very aggressive behaviors are are usually linked with some background of alcohol use. Mm -hmm. And of course, it doesn't make people commit suicide, but it might make somebody a little less inhibited if they're thinking or they want to act on an impulse. But I, I really, as, as a mother, and uh, I have a few little grandchildren, but they're under age two, and I think, oh my gosh, they're going to go to high school and college someday. I already lived through this. But I, I think our culture is it's part of the big picture because we're so we're worried about drugs and um synthetic fentanyl and all these things that have come into our country that are are stigmatized 
And a lot of people think, it's just beer. I can have four to six beers. We pregame, then we go out, and then we have a drink. And it just, the night goes on and on. And that's that theory of, I can do a drink an hour. And I really think, don't you, that, well, it's not drugs, it's just brewskis. Yeah, well, and that's and that's kind of what we sometimes get when we have patients coming into us with liver failure. Well, I've never, you know, I'm not your classic, you know, fall down drunk. I, I don't, you know, I have a job, I work, I, I, I care for my family and it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not your, sometimes it's not your stereotypical, um, you know, uh, addiction. And uh, certainly it's, it's as toxic and as potentially lethal and, uh, and deadly as others. And it can be so gradual and just keep building and building. So we talked a little earlier about COVID and its effect, the isolation, the depression. If you lose a loved one, if you get sick yourself and, you ha- and you're a, a long hauler, all the reasons why people are anxious or depressed and you're seeing this sharp rise in young people. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, you know, with COVID, I think a lot of people have suffered so many ill consequences. And one of the consequences that um, COVID has um, led to is increased use of alcohol. Uh, we saw, a, a, it just anecdotally in, at Einstein, saw a significant rise in acute alcoholic hepatitis patients, younger patients. Uh, I think being at home, not working, not having a place to go, being isolated from family, um, having access to alcohol, you can have alcohol delivered and it's legal. I think all mm. those things um, were a perfect storm for those patients who had the kind of predisposition to become excessive alcohol users. And then it just kind of spiraled into a severe situation. Yeah. And when you think about it, when we're all remote, every day is a snow holiday. <laughs> I don't have to commute tomorrow, so I'll have a drink while I binge watch Netflix. Um, I don't know. It's, I'm not making fun of it. I'm, I'm understanding how it's easier to get into those habits. Absolutely. So what might be some of the signs that a person would look for, either in their loved ones or themselves, that it's time to get help? Uh, I think sometimes it's it's more difficult for a person to recognize that they're having a, a, a problem or become aware enough that they want to seek that help. But if you are um, with a loved one or a friend that you suspect um, may be drinking excessively, one of the things you might want to see is that they're just not themselves. Their personality has changed. Um, you They appear intoxicated at weird unusual times of the day where perhaps they may not have been. You might see that loved one or that friend um, have a drink earlier than kind of seems normal to that person. Perhaps 10 a.m. in the morning, they're waking up and just grabbing a beer. Well, I have nothing else to do. So having beer in the morning is is, is kind of a, a really big red flag that something's happening. Um, so isolation and um, just not looking right. I think that we can all sense that something's wrong and I would just bring them to the attention of a healthcare provider. And again, you can see um, when every day is monotonous because you're not, it's like being a patient in an ICU when the lights are on 24 hours a day. It's easy to get disoriented. People, especially young people who are used to going out and socializing and dating and all, and then they're being really robbed of these years of development. Um, they think, well, if I have just a beer or two when I watch TV, it feels, it makes them feel like they're celebrating being 20 or 22 or, or, you know, that it's life is semi-normal. So the other, the one good news is once the doors open up and we're not so isolated, somebody out there is thinking it's brilliant. There are more and more alcohol-free bars popping up where they serve zero-proof drinks 
no alcohol, so you get the atmosphere, you can socialize, and enjoy some really creative mocktails. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, new trend that's coming out. I also think it's really important for um, extended family members and friends of, uh, of someone that they know has an excessive drinking um, uh, problem to, to not drink in front of them. Uh, you know, oftentimes we're, we, we have patients who come into us and they'll say, well, you know, we ask that family member, you can't have alcohol in the house anymore. Your, your loved one has a problem. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. Why should I have to stop drinking? Um, so it's the recognition that it's a disease. And um, so everybody has to support the person who is undergoing, um, you know, help for their disease and their addiction. And oftentimes, one thing that is really important, and if I can just put a, make a, a shout out to mental health and the need for mental health um, uh, awareness is that many people who become abusers of alcohol, where they're drinking excessively, oftentimes when you kind of break down the layers of the onion of what led that person to that amount of alcohol, it's often an untreated di a diagnosis of depression, an untreated diagnosis of anxiety, a horrible trauma in their childhood. We know that post-traumatic stress disorder in childhood, um, sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, emotional abuse, those are very common um, underlying um, motivators that lead to the alcohol use disorder in young adults. And you make a very, very good point. It is a disease. It's just like if somebody uh, comes to your home for dinner, you're going to be aware that they have celiac and Absolutely. you're going to avoid gluten. If somebody's diabetic, you're going to take some of the carbs out of the dinner. This is a disease, alcohol use disorder, to take away the stigma because people don't want to be um, a slave to drinking alcohol. And they don't want the diseases that come from it. So when we talk about treatment, it's multifaceted. Mm -hmm. There's counseling, support groups, but there are also medications. Do we have about a minute and a half that we could talk about that if we... Could. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, I think that's a great point. I think there there are definitely new medical therapies that we can use um, to help decrease craving um, in patients who are also undergoing um, counseling. It's not just take a pill and you're fine. You'll never be uh, a user abuser of alcohol. It is medication, medical therapy for treating the addiction of, of, of the disorder, but also getting mental health where it's needed, counseling and, and support. So it's, it's such a multifaceted approach, but certainly um, recognizing that it is not a, a, a choice and it is not a shameful thing. Um, it is truly a disease. And when we all recognize it as such and that it's not, oh, why can't you just stop? Um, we will get so much farther with this disease. We will destigmatize it, and we will we will get better. Um, but right now, we have a long way to go. I think we really need to learn a lot more about this process and its disease. Well, I want to do a special thank you to you, Simona, because not only are you an encyclopedia of information, but you're, it's easy to see why your patients love you because oh, you, you have a, a big heart and a really beautiful approach to helping people that really need it. So thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And in our final segment with your radio doctor today, we're joined by Mr. Ryan Healy, a licensed professional counselor and addiction specialist for the Einstein Healthcare Network. Ryan, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we've learned so much from Dr. Simona Rossi, and I know you work together at Einstein. If you would, Ryan... We know it's important to recognize alcohol use disorder as a medical diagnosis, just like high blood pressure, diabetes, 
let's talk about that a little. Sure. No. And, and, you know, let me just first start with, with explaining how alcohol use disorder is defined. Um, so it's a medical condition ca- characterized by an impaired ability to stop or, you know, control alcohol use despite adverse social, occupational or health consequences. Um, you know, it's also known as like alcohol abuse, alcohol dependence, alcohol addiction, and sometimes alcoholism. So, you know, it's considered a brain disorder and, and it can be mild, moderate or severe, according to the, uh, the DSM-5. And, you know, it has lasting changes in the brain caused by alcohol mis- misuse and it perpetuates alcohol use disorder and it makes individuals vulnerable to relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a brain function disease and requires medical and, and psychological treatments to control it. Well, I think what you said was vitally important for people to hear a DSM and that stands for what? Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And so that is saying, as healthcare providers, we recognize alcohol use disorder as a disease. And we like to think that that takes the stigma away from people who become dependent on alcohol or or use so much that it starts to hurt them physically and socially and emotionally. So I think if people don't hear anything else today, what we discuss that that has specific criteria and that's the first step that I need help. So, so tell us, I know that there's a wide variety of treatment options. Maybe you could share that with us. Sure. I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot of different treatment options and and with the patients that I see, you know, it's, it's different for each person. Um, You know, I could see somebody who needs inpatient treatment that, that, you know, which is provided in in special hospitals or medical clinics. It, It offers detoxification services, rehabilitation services, um, and those treatments could be anywhere from 21 to 30 days. And the person stays at the facility for psychoeducational groups, one-on-one therapy, um, you know, and, and they're really they're really helpful for people to get them out of the environment that they're in. Um, there's residential programs and they're a little bit longer and they have um, mo- like models of residential treatment, like therapeutic communities. And, and they can last from a year, from a month to a year. And um, they're best for people who really don't have like a stable living environment or employment situation. Um, and then there's like partial hospitalization, which can be given for people. And they go to the, they go to the clinic and, and they stay there for about four to eight hours. And then they go home at the end of the night. Um, they have a counselor, they have the groups, um, you know, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more extensive. And then there's outpatient uh, services, which is like, um, you know, a patient goes for three days a week, they live at home, and they could be about, you know, uh, two to three day, two to three days a week. Um, they have a counselor. They have supportive groups. And then, you know, there's AA, which is um, AA or 12 support, 12 step support groups, um, which can help people, um, you know, find a support that that's not people who have been through the same thing. Well, the first step is to talk to somebody like you that can right. lay out the whole chessboard and see what helps. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, Ryan, if somebody wanted to read more about it, what websites would you recommend? So I have a couple websites. Um, I have uh, www.samsha.gov, na.org, and uh, sepia.org. Sepia's S-E-P-I-A. S-E-P-I-A.org. Beautiful. Ryan, thank you so much. And I, I think you bring great comfort to people who need it. And again, alcohol use disorder is a disease. It's not something anybody chooses. So thank you for sharing your message. And people can reach you by reading, visiting the website einstein.edu. Yep. Thank you, thank Ryan. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're a real champion. Presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. I know you've got the heart of a champion.
And now for your real champion. I call this segment the Blue Light Warriors. This current wave of COVID has swept the nation. Hospital beds are full. It's hard to find test kits. And some medical centers are temporarily stopping elective visits, surgeries, and cancer screenings like colonoscopy. Why does that worry me? Well, the American Cancer Society reports that between March and June of 2020, the first lockdown, 18,000 cases of colon cancer were missed or delayed because we stopped elective procedures. So promise me, if your upcoming screening test is delayed, plaster a big reminder on your calendar to reschedule once those doors reopen. You know I'm a GI doctor. I am a warrior. And public enemy number one is colon cancer. Yes, every type of cancer is evil. But here's why I focus on colon cancer. Number one, it's probably the most preventable cancer. Other tests like mammograms find early cancer. Colonoscopy finds and removes pre-cancer. It's brilliant. It's very common. When we combine men and women, more people die of colon cancer than breast cancer. Now, not all polyps become cancer, but all cancer starts as a polyp, so every polyp is an enemy. For many years, the recommendation was to start screening at age 50. Last May, the screening age for everyone was lowered to age 45. Why? Because African Americans are 20% more likely to be diagnosed and 40% more likely to die from colon cancer than people of other races, and there's been a sharp rise in cases in people under age 50, even under 40. So I repeat, Everyone, begin screening for colon cancer at age 45 at the latest. And if you have a family history of colon cancer or even just polyps, you may be advised to start before age 45. And if you have symptoms, see your doctor immediately, no matter what your age, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, weight loss, change in bowel habits, or rectal bleeding. March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month. Sadly, Philly has one of the lowest colon cancer screening rates of any major city in the country. Come on, we have the best fans in the country. How can I turn you into a colon cancer screening fan? Well, several years ago, I started the Blue Lights campaign. Each year in March, the city is wrapped in blue. Close to 30 buildings in Philly and beyond shine in blue, urging people to get screened for colon cancer. Together, we shout it from the rooftops of Philadelphia, get screened. This week, your real champions are all the people who support the Blue Lights campaign. And I want to thank each of you by name. You are the Blue Light Warriors. And together, we want to conquer colon cancer. That's the Philadelphia Electric Company, Pico. Brickstone Company for the beautiful display at Lit Brothers. Brandywine Realty Trust, the great light show on the FMC Tower and Sierra Center. One Liberty Place, Two Liberty Place at BNY Mellon. The Franklin Institute, Ben Franklin Bridge, Lowe's Hotel, Parktown Place Apartments, the Kimmel Center, the Union League, Boathouse Row, the Philadelphia Inquirer, Methodist Hospital, in the Burbs, Kimco Realty for lighting all of Suburban Square, the Hilton on City Line, St. Joe's University for Barbellin Tower, Montgomery County Courthouse, Pittsburgh, it goes on and on, and the Pennsylvania State Capitol is blue for the entire month. Each year I go to Harrisburg with a proclamation to join the Blue Lights campaign. And this year, I have the help of the National Lieutenant Governors Association. Every state capital is invited to shine in blue during March. So we're now officially a national blue movement. How can you be a blue light champion? Join the blue light campaign. Decorate the door to your home or office in blue lights, a strand of blue lights on your bushes, a blue bulb in your porch light, the check-in desk at work. Have a blue lights contest with your neighbors. 
Then send a picture of your home or office in Blue Lights to info at bluelightscampaign.com and we'll post it on our website, bluelightscampaign.com. Then be a Philly fan for colon cancer screening and all cancer screenings. Start your colon cancer screening at age 45 and learn your family history of cancer and colon polyps. You may need to start before 45. We salute you, Blue Light Warriors. This week, you are our real champions. Thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Rothman Orthopedics and Recovery Centers of America. Listen again on yourradiodoctor.com. Get ready for our third year beginning in February. Your Radio Doctor will air at a new time. We'll keep you posted. Tomorrow, we remember the great leader, Dr. Martin Luther King. And if it's a three-day weekend for you, enjoy a little me time today and breathe in the sounds of Sinatra. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie, the one and only Your Radio Doctor, wishing you a happy and healthy week and here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.